Good morning, listeners. This is Coffee with the Sarlos, and I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We have a special series in store for you today to acknowledge Remembrance Day um, around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a really unique and special series that we've put together for you with one of our very favorite clients, and we can say that mm-hmm. in all honesty, yeah. um, with Mr. Jim Lenups. He is ex-military, and um, he's been seeing Karen for many years now for sessions. Mm-hmm. I'll let Karen explain that. Um, but we wanted to feature him and his story that's unfolded over his sessions uh, as a special series where it just kind of had its own platform. We didn't want to space this out mm-hmm. like our regular Coffee with the Sarlos series. We wanted people to be able to binge these shows, um, and that will make more sense in a, in a couple moments. Um, but we wanted it to have its separate platform to honor um, Jim's journey as well as his grandfather. So I'll let you take it away from here, Karen. Mm-hmm. So Jim came to see me for personal sessions over seven years, and I would say probably... I would guess between seven and 10 times per year. So, you know, sometimes every single month in a row and then maybe skip a month and he'd come back again. And um, the purpose in doing this was that he wanted to find out about a period of five years in his grandfather's life that no one in his family talked about. And that period of time had to do with the Second World War in Poland. And it's undocumented, Mm -hmm. undocumented service. Mm-hmm. This was a great interest to Jim because he is ex-military for um, Canada. Mm-hmm. So there's a great connection here, a terrific interest on Jim's part, an ability on his part as a detective to be able to piece things together, to research things. You're going to hear in the five shows how Jim reaches out across the ocean to validate things in Europe with his family members in Auschwitz, how he reaches out to family members locally in Canada. Um, And I believe at some points into the United States to get some validations as well. So what occurs in some of the sessions and what you're going to get to hear has a lot to do with remote viewing. It has to do with the gifts that I use as a psychic, a medium. There's quite a variety of things that occur to get validations that pertain to Jim's own life, that happen in Jim's future. It allows Jim to figure out his own connection. Uh, It gives Jim a life purpose for a while after he retires from the military to be able to do all of this research. Jim describes some of the research that he does and how he does it and how over a seven-year period, we get to hear how some of the validations that his grandfather gave him on day one present themselves seven years later to show Jim a full cycle. Yeah, um, Remembrance Day is, I think, a difficult day for a lot of people mm-hmm. for many, many reasons, all of which um, are, are personal, I'll say, on on many levels. And this was something that we wanted to share with people, first and foremost, because of the love story between mm-hmm. Jim and his dead grandfather, mm-hmm. where there was a deep desire to witness his grandfather's life, even if it was after the fact. So... This was just one way that we thought we could um, 
maybe give people a different perspective um, on war itself. Jim does a great job uh, in describing that through the podcast, which you'll get to hear. I also want to say, too, um, as someone who does not like listening to things about war, he makes it very palatable, um, where Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you're clenching and nervous the whole time. So if you're hesitant to listen, um, I think this is a really safe place to hear about some of those things um, and to hear more facts that we're not really... We're not really given in school. Mm -hmm. So the love story was our focus. Um, It's something that we are so happy to highlight. And aside from today's intro, we're going to do very little intro and outro to these shows. We're not treating them with show notes or Mm -hmm. any of our regular spiel. So if you're waiting for that, it's not coming. Um, These are Jim's shows. And we wanted to to honor him that way. Mm -hmm. So uh, without further ado, we will present you with show number one. Jim, welcome back. Hi, Jim. Good day. We Happy are so excited. Yes, we're so excited to have you back. Um, you've done four shows with us already. Mm-hmm. And this one um, is actually really intriguing for us because you're calling this your pre-Karen days. Oh, yes. My pre-Karen days. Okay. So we know that you're very well organized. You've got all your notes that you want to refer to, and we've got some pictures that we're going to throw up throughout the episode. Um, but we, we wanted to pose the question to you before we dive in for you know listeners who are just joining us. Um, this journey that you've kind of been on uh, of research, how did this all come to be? Well, this is... Uh... Man, this goes way back. Um, This is a research project about my late grandfather. That would be my mom's dad. And growing up, I really didn't know anything about him. As young kids, like very young, we would take the journey to my grandparents' farm, and it would take half a day for us to get there. So we didn't go all that often. And when we get there, we, it would just be all about exploring for us. They lived on a farm. There was lots to see. We lived in town. It wasn't the same. And uh, we never really communicated back and forth with our grandparents at that age. Um, partly because they spoke a lot of Dutch. And uh, I don't know any of it. I still don't know any of it. Uh, so there was, um, there was a bit of a disconnect there for us. Uh, as, as I grew older... You know, we got into our life and went in different directions. Uh, Then, of course, in 1989, I joined the military. Uh, When I joined the military, I not only left them behind, I left everybody I knew behind. It's kind of a sad story, really, but it just kind of fell into that new world. And uh, the only thing that I really dealt with was what was immediately in front of me in in a military lifestyle. So I don't remember actually ever going to see them after I joined the military. Uh, So that's kind of sad, but that's that's just the way it is. Um, Now, my, my grandfather died in 1993. I was not, uh, I didn't even go to the funeral because I couldn't get home. I, I was I was out of the country, and there was just no way for me to get back in time. So I missed that that part as well. Uh, then we skip over to 1998. In 1998, uh, I received a book 
that my uncle put together. And I actually have it right here. This book here. Uh, it's a book about stories about the family. They decided that his family was starting to pass on that before all their stories were lost, they would put them together in a book so that younger generations could read it. And you know, it's, it's a fascinating book. There's lots of awesome stories in it, especially the ones that uh, uh, are hosted in Holland where they all grew up. So back to me being in the military again, I was focusing in on those chapters that dealt with the Second World War because they would have all been there at that time period. And that, of course, was of interest to me. So as I went through this book, um, the stories were great, but they were pretty thin when it came to the Second World War. There was not a lot of information. What was there was very little detailed. So I was a little bit disappointed about that because that was really the only area I was interested in at the time. So I decided that I would contact family and see if I could get more information. Uh, with that, I naturally started with my mother. And she was born in 1941. So during the war, being 1939 to 1945, she was not very old. So uh, personal recollection of things, it just wouldn't have been very much. Um, but she did remember a few things that helped me start this project. And that was, she remembers running or trying to run down the little driveway they had to meet him at the end of the driveway because he was coming home from being gone for a period of time. Uh, now, if she was running and she was born in 41, I don't think I could place that time anytime before 1943. So we're nearing the end of the war for sure. So there's still a huge area of information that I needed to, to, to gather. So I had that, plus she did state it was near the end of the war. So I'm looking at a good four years that I'm trying to fill in here. What did he do? Where did he go? What was his total involvement in the Second World War? The book itself uh, alluded to the fact that uh, he was a member of the Dutch Cavalry during the Second World War. And, and why? Why the Dutch Cavalry? Well, they had a picture of him sitting on a horse with uh, a couple of other guys sitting on horses. And they took from that that he was in the Dutch Cavalry. And so the whole family bought that. And that was what we grew up knowing that, you know, this is the one thing. Um, turns out that wasn't true. Um, so we had that. And in the book as well, it stated he was a member of a resistance organization. It didn't say when, it didn't say where, and it didn't say what he got involved in. The one last thing the book stated was that he ended up in a prisoner camp of some kind that was located 150 miles east of Berlin. And still 150 miles east of Berlin without getting a name of a camp or the name of a, 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 a town is still a pretty good geographical location to try and find something in. So 
all I had was those few key tidbits and nothing else to go on. So being very curious, a curious person at nature, uh, I was zeroing in on all of this and I had to learn more. So after I got that little bit from my mother and a little bit from the book, I went to other family members. Now, our family, cousins, aunts, uncles, uh, we, didn't, we didn't see each other very often. So there wasn't a lot of contact. So when I started to ask the questions about, tell me about your dad, what did he do? What do you know? Do you have any pictures? Do you have any documents? Do you have anything that can help me with this research? Um, it was like they didn't really want to help me with it. Uh, they gave me nothing, absolutely nothing that I didn't already know. And they weren't seemingly willing to step out and, and, and get me more. So again, that was disappointing. Uh, where do you go? He died in 93, so I can't go talk to him. Uh, it's now 1998, and I'm trying to put this thing together, and there's no help within the family. So I decided one day that I would contact the Ministry of Defense in Holland and see if I get a copy of a service record. Anyone that's in the military anywhere will have a service record. Now, if you go and, for example, if you were to research me, say I had died and you were my family, you would be allowed to get my service record. You would have to show or, or present certain pieces of identification. And if they accepted that, then they would send you a copy of the service record. The service record you would get from the Canadian military would have, oh, all kinds of things in it. It would have every place I'd ever been, every course I'd ever taken, every vehicle I'd ever driven. Uh, it's, it's all in there. It's quite a lengthy package. So this, this was kind of what I expected to see when I got the letters back from, from Holland. And I, I don't know, I think it only took about a month and I got one page, one piece of paper came in the envelope and well, I was happy to get something back, but I was disappointed with what I saw. On it, it did state what regiment he was part of, but it only recorded his information up until June of 1939. Now, since the Second World War started, well, it started in September 39 in Poland, and for Holland, it started in May. So there was a huge gap from June 39 to uh, May 1940, that, that had nothing in it. The page was blank. Only until uh, later in April 1945 was a recording on his record that stated he was guarding POWs while employed with the Ministry of Interior in Holland. And that would have been German POWs. And then the last entry showed that he was discharged from the military in 1952. So, I effectively had the entire war with nothing in it on his record. So that being an official document, uh, where do I go? Where do I find the information to fill in that hole?
everything I was looking for wasn't there, except for the fact that he was a member of the 11th Infantry Regiment. So with that, uh, immediately there was a conflict. The family identified him as being part of the Dutch Cavalry. Well, the Dutch Cavalry is not an infantry regiment. So now I had to try and sort that out. So this led me on a path to uh, a, a few Dutch historians and a couple of museums in Holland. And I was lucky to find them and I just found them by researching on the internet and I came to a website that it was actually um, War Over Holland it's called. I think it's still called that. It's changed a couple of times since I started looking at it. And on it were the, the, the main parties that were managing the site. And I managed to email them and uh, say, look, I need some information. What can you tell me about the 11th Infantry Regiment during the Second World War? I'm trying to research my grandfather. And you know, they were awesome. They sent back pages and pages of information and directed me to other parts of their website and other websites where I could research about the 11th Infantry Regiment. Um, so I went along for, you know, I'm going to have to say a year or two with the understanding he was in the 11th Infantry Regiment, possibly in the cavalry. And this is where I, I, I was searching within those parameters. But things started to not, they didn't line up. Everywhere uh, I was going, there were conflicts. It just didn't work. So they put me in touch with another gentleman that was part of the, um, I can't remember the regiment's name, it's unfortunate, but uh, it was one of the Hussar organizations, which is cavalry uh, for Holland. And he was one of the senior members in the organization and he had access to all the records. So I sent him my grandfather's information, his name, his date of birth, all that sort of thing. And he went to work. He got back to me eventually. And he stated very clearly, your grandfather was never a member of the cavalry in the Dutch army ever period. Yeah, go ahead. How did your family react to that? Oh, I didn't tell them. Not oh. yet. Not yet. That's fair. Uh, I, I knew that was going to be a problem. Because this is, it, it seemed like this is where they had hung their hats. This, mm -hmm. their dad was a member of this. This is the great picture of him sitting on a horse. And it, it was prominent in this book. And I wasn't about to cut that out from under him without some more information to give him. That's very so, considerate. Well, mm -hmm. I, tr I tried anyway. Um, so I, I kind of chuckled at that, but that left yet another hole in, in, in the investigation. It was good to know that he wasn't this, so I could strike that off the list of possibilities. So now I was left with the 11th Infantry Regiment. Uh, I went on again, this, I mean, this period of time was very lengthy for me, understanding that I still had to do my job in the military, so I wasn't around a lot. Well, I think mm -hmm. listeners also need to understand it wasn't the era of tons of uh, internet access. Oh, no. Uh, 
you know, I joined the military in 89 and we didn't even have computers yet. You know, we're still working on a stupid typewriter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot that was digitized that was online. So it, it was rather difficult. Um, but again, I was targeting the 11th Infantry Regiment. That's all I had to go on. So I started to find different sites that talked about that regiment and different sites that showed photographs of members of the regiment. Yeah, couldn't find his name anywhere. Couldn't find his photograph anywhere. Now, of course, who knows? Not everybody's going to be in these photographs. But uh, I was really hopeful. Hopefully I'd see some, somebody that looked like him. But what I was noticing that everybody in this photo was very young. And all these photos, they were all young guys. And my grandfather at the time, he was born in 1907. So we're talking, he would have been 32, around 32 years of age. He would not have fit in with this crowd. It would have been very noticeable. So there were questions. I was having questions. So again, I'll go back to the historian. I said, what can you tell me? Is it a possibility that he was no longer with the 11th Infantry Regiment when the war began? You know, in Canada, when you move, you don't belong to the same regiment anymore. You get posted to a new regiment, different number. So I know he had moved from one place, part of Holland to another part of Holland after he had joined the 11th Regiment. So is it possible that he was now in a different one? And, and he agreed it was very possible, but he would have to do some research for me. Um, so he got back to me and he was not able to tell me what regiment he may have gone to. However, he identified that just before the Second World War, Holland decided to reorganize the structure of their army. And when they did that, they actually re-identified the regiments. What they did was um, they took the, the, the guys that were, I don't know the exact age, but let's say age of 25 and younger, and they put them in the regiments that were numbered uh, with lower numbers, like say one, two, let's use 25 again. So if you were uh, 17, 18, 20 years of age, you might have fallen into one of the regiments numbered one to 25. And if you were older in age, you were placed in regiments of a larger number. So he said definitively, your grandfather could not have been in the 11th regiment when the war started. Mm. So, that, that was actually great information, answered a bunch of questions, but obviously gave me more questions. Where did he go then? What regiment was he in? So that, man, that, that was left open for years. And I mean years. There was no documentation anywhere. And, and that's obviously another question. Why is there no documentation? The military generally records just about everything. It's part of history and, and, uh, and whatnot. Um, but that, that question is actually going to be answered later and probably another podcast. I don't want to open that up just yet. But um, 
So I got a service record, nothing there. I got family, nothing there. I got the historians, they're helping me as much as they can. So what can I do? What can I do now? So what I decided to do was another investigative technique, and I'm just looking for a piece of paper here because I'm actually gonna show you. I decided I'd create a timeline. So what I did was I took a bunch of paper, just like this, and I taped them all together, made one long piece of paper because I envisioned I'd have a lot of stuff to put on it. And I drew a line down the middle of it, and I marked on the one end, I picked a year, 19, early 1939, and on the right side, I wrote 1946, with the idea that everything I knew about my grandfather and the war, I would put on this timeline in the right location between those two years. And what I didn't have, where there were gaps, that's what I would try to fill in. So I had some kind of direction. Otherwise, you're kind of shooting off in all kinds of directions here. And uh, trying to coordinate the information at the end is a bit of a nightmare. So very quickly, I realized I didn't have much to put on this paper. So I started personal. I went, okay, let's put down all my aunts and uncles within that family when they were born. So I put those dates down. And then I had an idea. Well, you know what? <laughs> Nine months before that birth date, something happened. And I had to know that he was at home. So that was very important information. So I put down, I'd, I'd walk back mm -hmm. nine months and I write down, bam, grandpa was mm -hmm. home this date. Mm -hmm. um, and slowly I started to build a larger profile of my grandfather's activities. Then I would bring in historical facts that you can grab anywhere about the war that I thought were prevalent and I placed them on the timeline. And I started to get a picture of, okay, there's a big gap here. I know nothing about him. Maybe he wasn't around on this period of time. He wasn't at home. This, is, this could be very significant. So I had that, but I still had, you know, what was I gonna put in this? Where was I gonna get the information to fill in these gaps? There's just nothing out there, nothing I could find anyway. So out of the blue, I get an email from a cousin of mine, a cousin that I rarely saw, but she had heard that I was looking for information. She did not know what she had to give me, but she knew she had something. She didn't understand what it was. And I get a email that had attached to it a picture of a postcard and an envelope that she knew my grandfather had sent home at some point during the war. That's all we knew about it. And we do have a picture of that that we may be able to attach to this. Now, this envelope, as she stated, was next to impossible to read. Um, the postcard was, it had nothing on it. There's nothing of value on the postcard itself. So the envelope was the important part of this. So uh, 
I got the envelope or the, or the scanned copy that she sent me. Actually, it was a photocopy, which was even worse. And I scanned it and I went to work with different Photoshop tools to try and alter the color, the tone, everything I could to try and make the words on the envelope more legible. And this took a fair amount of time, but eh, success. And this turned out to be one of the most key pieces of evidence that I could find for this investigation to go anywhere, just out of the blue, most amazing actually. So the envelope ended up reading, well, it says right on it, from Papa, <laughs> right? Uh, conscript military, as all the members of the Dutch army were at the time that, there were very few that were part of an organized trained army before the war. The rest were made up of conscripts and he was one of them. Uh, his name, of course. And then the numbers 3-3-29 Infantry Regiment Battalion 3 Brigade B. Now that might mean absolutely nothing to anybody that's not in the military. Uh, but for me, that was a beautiful identifier. Jim, can uh, I ask a question? Certainly. If he's writing home with that, what would have been the motivation to even put that on an envelope? Is that almost like a return, a return address at that point? Well, essentially, I don't, I'm not sure he would be expecting mail back, but it's a good possibility. You're always mm -hmm. encouraged to write letters home. It's a morale mm -hmm. thing. It's not meant to, you had to be careful because you didn't want to give away any kind of secrets, right? But at this time, the war hadn't started yet, as we're about to learn. And uh, yeah, you would fully identify yourself on the envelope. And this mm -hmm. is going through military mail mm -hmm. to make its way home. So the numbers, uh, I had an idea what they were, but just to be sure, again, I wrote back to my friends in, in Holland and they confirmed that the numbers broke down as following. It was third company, third battalion, 29th infantry regiment, brigade B. Every one of those numbers meant something. Uh, 29th infantry regiment, was the main piece of information I needed. That was the regiment he belonged to. But the regiment is broken down into smaller segments. So 3rd Battalion was an even more definitive identification of uh, what unit he belonged to. Because you could have, say, one, two, three, four, five uh, battalions within the regiment, and each one of those might have been off doing something totally different in a different location. So this was necessary information. Brigade B turned out to be also a very big point of uh, information because Brigade B was set up to be a reserve unit, not reserve as in part-time military, but uh, soldiers uh, with the regiment that are held back in a location to be moved to wherever they're needed during the action. So he was held back with the older guys in his regiment to be sent wherever they were needed. Okay, so that was awesome information. And then it goes on to say it was a field post, which it was a field post. And it is dated the 30th of October, 1939 in 
Horson. Now, Horson doesn't exist on a map, but if you Google it, uh, it'll give you the location where it is in Holland. Horsen was uh, incorporated into some other towns and has disappeared off the map. It is now called something else. But it gave me an idea where he was at. Now, 30th of October, 1939, understand that the war in Holland didn't start until the 10th of May, 1940. So he was obviously, and his regiment was obviously uh, part of the group that was mobilized really early. In September 39, uh, Germany invaded Poland. And Poland's not far from Holland. And they also, after Poland, Germany marched into Czechoslovakia. So Hitler was on the move. So obviously they recognized that, hey, we may be next and we border Germany. So we better get something going here and be a little bit prepared in case they decide they're gonna come knocking on our door. And obviously they did, but he would have spent a long time away from his family even before the war started. So that's also very important information. And it answered one of the questions I had early on in this investigation. So I was happy. We're rocking now. We got some identifiers to work with. And so, of course, I'm back to historians. What can I do with this? Tell me something about the 29th Infantry Regiment, uh, specifically the 3rd Battalion. And they sent me battle maps that show where everybody was placed in Holland. And within reason amount of detail, uh, the dates and where everybody ended up getting moved to throughout their war, which only lasted six days. Um, so that was really kind of cool. And then, and I might end up reading some of this because it's pretty technical stuff. Um, they sent me part of a log. Now, within, within the military, of course, you have officers and you have non-commissioned members. Officers get prominent mention just about everywhere. Non-commissioned members, unless they did something outstanding, you never heard from them. That's like they never existed, even though they're the ones that actually did all the work. Uh, that's, that's the same now, pretty much. That sounds standard. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Take what you get and run with it. There's perks to every position, right? So within, within all of this, are, there are war journals that are created and they're created by the officers. They sit down and they journal the events to be part of history. So, and that still goes on today. So they sent me parts of war journals that involved the third battalion of the 29th Regiment Infantry which my grandfather, we know, was now part of. So this is fantastic stuff. Um, right away, they keyed in that they had mobilized to that area that we identified by that envelope. So that confirmed that information. Excellent. It, went, it goes on to say that, I'm going to throw some dates at you here, and probably locations, that on the 10th of May, so they've been there in October, 39, now the 10th of May, something's finally happening. And indeed, the 10th of May, the Germans crossed the border and started to attack Holland. 
on the 10th of May, they recognized that they were getting hammered. So they instructed this regiment and a couple of other regiments to move from their location. Uh, exciting times, exciting times, big time. These poor souls had to march three days. There's no buses, there's nothing else, you're walking. So they're marching three days from their location, had to cross two rivers. Now, it would have been easy if there was a bridge directly in line with where they had to go, but there was not. Oh my goodness. So their, their route took them to the west, then to the north, and then double back to the location they had to go. So they mar they're three days again, they're marching to a location just northwest of the town of Renan. Renan, that's R-H-E-N-E-N. -E -E you can find that, no problem. Renan is just west of Nijmegen, and most people recognize that name. Uh, this area was effectively the front line. The Dutch army had set up their main front line along a hilly area, one of the only hilly areas in Holland. It's all flat. Um, this being a strategic point, they made this their main stand. So the German army came a long ways into Holland before they were even met by anybody. Uh, this is not the way I would set up a defense, but this is what they had to work with. This is what they did. So their job was to get there and in anticipation of an attack, form a flanking maneuver around the main thrust that this part of the German army was making into that part of Holland. So three days to get there, again, that's a long time of marching. And you know these people did not stop very often for a break. Been there, done that, it's not a fun time. Uh, food would have been eat on the run, that sort of thing. Not much rest at all. Um, three days later, and it's dark. So nobody knows what's going on. You can just imagine what's, what's, what's happening in your own mind at this point. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of terror. Uh, it, there's a lot of unknown, and you know something's coming, and not good. They get to their positions in the dark. It's starting, just starting to become daylight and they get hit and they get hit hard. Uh, all accounts in the journals, aircraft coming in, dropping bombs on them, strafing them. Artillery coming in from God knows what direction. And there's the infantry right in their face. So they're getting smoked and it's total complete chaos. They have not had any sleep. They haven't had any food yet after this three-day march. So the mind is not functioning properly. There's a lot of mess going on here. And unfortunately, what often happens is lines of communication get broken. When you're in a battle situation, the only thing that keeps things going straight is communication. And they lost it. There was the officers who are not in the front line, cannot communicate with battalion commanders further back. So something that might be happening off to your left side, for example, you know nothing about it. 
you might be able to hear it, but you don't know what's going on to be able to move in and help with it, right? You don't know what you're going to be doing now. So you're just standing there waiting for it. And what ended up happening in all the chaos and lost communications is an order was passed down to whoever could receive it to fall back. So a large element probably received this order and headed backwards to another position. But whoever didn't get it was stuck standing there. This area was full of trees, still not very bright. So more and more confusion all the time. Uh, total chaos again. In that action, we do not know definitively at this point, my grandfather, whatever, did not fall back. Uh, he didn't get the order or he decided he wasn't gonna do it or he may have been tasked to be part of the rear guard to protect the assets that were moving backwards. So we're giving you up, you protect our arses, we're moving that way. It could have been any one of those things. So- It happens. Yeah, oh yes, that happens. Mind. It has to happen. Uh, nowadays you would call it a, a tactical retreat. Well, there's many names for it. And, there, and it's, it, it's a well-organized uh, action and it's practiced a lot. Uh, you know, you, 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 you would shoot and move, shoot and move, shoot and move. But at some point, somebody's going to be the last guy, right? And they have to, you know, if you have to, you're giving yourself up so the rest of the crew can make themselves, make their way back to where they can stand and fight. So all these things were happening. In all accounts, it was just a mess. And that is all the detail we can get on the journals because after that, uh, communications were wiped. Nobody was recording anything anymore. Their war was effectively over at this point in time, but they didn't know it yet. So that's, that's where I was left with the information from the historians. So I went back to the battle maps and I confirmed a lot of this, showing the, the lines of march, locations they ended up in, all that confirmed. So I was pretty secure in thinking that he was a member of the 29th Regiment, 3rd Battalion. He went from here to this location outside of Renan, was met with this kind of action and something happened after that. We don't know what at this point in time. Uh, you know what, I was excited about that. It, it was, that was awesome for me. I mean, shitty situation, but that was done and gone with, right? For me, that was awesome. This was information I never expected to get after years of getting stonewalled. So I had something to go on. Uh, I put that information in my timeline, but again, still had lots of gaps to fill. So where do I go from here? It was a period where I really found nothing. So uh, what I did with my time was I decided, hey, you know what? I don't remember the family ever saying he got any kind of award for this. In the military, uh, you deploy somewhere, you get a medal. Um, you go to battle somewhere, you're getting another medal, that sort of thing. It's very good. You know what? Maybe I'll just ask. So I wrote to the Ministry of Defense. They confirmed he was not awarded anything. So they sent me an application for an award. 
I filled it out as best I could. Then I added all the evidence that I could confirm and the stuff that I believed. I didn't need to fill this pile. I need to stack it in his favor. I wanted to see him get some recognition for what he had done up until this point. And I sent it all in. It's probably 30, 40 days, very quick actually. I got a package back and a beautiful little letter from the Ministry of Defense and thanking me for what, uh, my application. And then another package uh, that went on to thank my grandfather, posthumously obviously, for what he had done for his mobilization and his work. And they included a medal. Uh, the medal is called the Mobilization Medal. And that was presented to, to uh, any of the soldiers that mobilized. Um, I, was, I, was, I, was, I didn't know what to say. Fantastic, absolutely uh, wonderful. I really didn't expect to actually get it because the Dutch are very stingy with their awards. So uh, oh, it's amazing. You go on the website and they have lists of names of, uh, of all the Dutch soldiers that were awarded medals during the war. And there's not very many of them. You basically had to prove that you were there yourself, not have somebody say, yeah, I know you were there. Here you go. Um, you, had to, you had to go and prove it. And a lot of guys, when they finished the war, they just wanted to be done with. So they didn't even ask. So I figured, hey, this is great. I managed to accomplish something here. This is pretty good. So I ended up giving the medal to my mother. It, was, it, it means more to her than me anyways, uh, with the understanding that when she's done with it, it'll come back to me anyway. So she has this medal, which is absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, it was not the medal I was hoping he'd get. Now, it sounds a little odd for me to be complaining about that. It's not really a complaint. It, more than it is, he did battle with the Germans which qualifies them for a different medal. And you either got this one or you got the other one. You didn't get both. Mm. So while I was happy he got the mobilization medal, I was still shooting for this other one. And someday when I get more information, <laughs> I'm probably gonna make another stab at it anyway. It can't hurt to ask. Um, so there's that. And that's really where my part of this investigation alone ground to a halt. There was nothing more coming in. Uh, I, I was effectively dead in the water. I could not place him definitively anywhere where I could prove that he was there. And I could... what's, sorry, Jim. Yeah, go ahead. What's the time frame in this? So when you hit your, like when it came to a halt, what was, uh, what year was it? Oh, I started this in 98, and now we're looking at around 2010, 2011. Okay. So quite a bit of time. Now, and again, we're call, I call this the pre-Karen years because it really is. First of all, I would have never thought of uh, addressing a medium to find any of this information. Mm. Um, I did my career as a military policeman. We had standard operating procedures and the way we did business. 
<laughs> sorry, but medium was not part of it. Um, yeah, man, if I'd have known, I'd be leaps and bounds ahead of where I am today. Um, so I never, I never considered it. So I was just floundering around, hoping I was going to be able to continue on with this project. But really, I, I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to. And uh, somehow, I came across, you know, I, I think it was my wife, actually, that actually met you, Karen. Mm -hmm. And she, she went to a presentation you were getting. Mm -hmm. And uh, she came home and she said, you know what, maybe you should go see her. Maybe you should go ask her. And I kicked that around for a while because I really didn't know what to think of that. And, and no disrespect, it was mm -hmm. just not part of my agenda. Mm -hmm. And I, I booted that around for a while, and then it was just got to be, you know, why not? How can this hurt? So I made the appointment. Never told you anything about it, what I was coming to see you for. And uh, this is where this gets just completely fascinating. Totally fascinating. I remember the first day like it was yesterday. And uh, so we're talking now, it would be 2014. Oh, what? So that's a 2014. That was your that, first appointment? That was my first appointment with you. 2014. I don't have that. I'm counting. Specific, <laughs> six years ago. Yeah. Six years ago, but a long time after I started this. Uh. So it was obviously something I was not willing to drop. So when I found out, hey, there's a chance, let's keep going. So now we're into the Karen years. Um, this, is, this is amazing. The first meeting was um, more than just an eye-opener for me. Mm. Um, as I said before, I, I never considered this. I did not know what I was getting into. I didn't know what to expect. No one does, Jim. <laughs> yeah, which you know what that actually makes it better actually makes it better. The effect is greater mm -hmm. um, yeah, hopefully positive so anyways, I have to tell the story of when I first got to your house okay. because that that plays a role in this whole story. I drove up to the house, walked up to the door and you came to the door and let me in. The second I stepped through the door, you walked backwards up against the far wall in your hallway. Now your hallway is about what, 10 feet long? Mm -hmm. Approximately 10 feet long. And as soon as you do that, I looked at you and I, and I said to myself, oh shit, what did I do already? You know, like <laughs> what the hell? You know, I've already pissed her off. And um, understand that I was still military. I was totally different frame of mind yeah. at the time. So right. I'm thinking, oh, God, right? She sees me already. So I was just like, wow, that was something. But we carried on, and we went in and did the session. And I'll skip through here quickly to close this loop. About two-thirds of the way through the session, you opened up and said to me that, when I walked through that door, behind me, you could see a long line 
of men in horrible condition, dressed horribly. Of course, they weren't there for me to see. Right. But you could clearly see them. And you were questioning whether you could actually do the session at that point in time. Hmm. And, and someone told you, maybe one of the guides, whatever, told you that you could and you needed to push on with it. I remember that like it was yesterday. Hmm. And um, that, was, that was quite amazing because that comes into play much later, uh, years afterwards. But I thought that was important to mention because I came there nervous as hell. And so were you at that point. Hmm. So we were both meeting and neither one of us knew what was going to happen. So that, 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 that was pretty amazing. And, and since then, well, six years, uh, we have had to learn to work together on this one. Um, as, as you very well know, my grandfather, um, the sense of humor that he has, oh. he was not forthcoming with the information we were looking for. At least that's what it appeared to be. And that's man, true he has uh, a sense of wit and he has a sense of humor and he oh, he likes to make you figure out riddles oh yeah he he's the riddle master now i mean as frustrating as that was on the early stages it all had a purpose which i didn't identify with until years later and uh, I'm going to touch on that before we go too far, because again, that all plays into this whole story. I was coming to you to learn about my grandfather. This was a project for me. While I was doing this, I was in, I had just released from the military and I was fighting myself. I had many personal battles going on in my head. Uh, you know, I had lost my, my sense of purpose, my career. It was, it was much earlier than I had ever anticipated that I was going to be ending, leaving the military. And I had some injuries, so there were some limitations to what I was going to be able to do. So I, I, I was sitting in my own head, you know, pissed off at the world. And uh, uh, basically, I'm going nowhere. But in the middle of that, I was still trying to plug away at this thing. And um, so we had to do battle with my grandfather's riddles and try and figure out whether he was actually making any sense. Mm -hmm. And that was very difficult at times, very, very difficult at times. So there was a lot of teamwork between us to try and get the information from my grandfather and, and actually try to make some sense out of it. So it was a huge work in progress and, and it was absolutely phenomenal experience phenomenal so while i was thinking i was just there getting information he was actually teaching me a hell of a lot more it wasn't just about him he was teaching me about myself and that that almost even to, to today means more to me than his story yeah um and, and it all kind of mixed together and became one uh one absolutely amazing uh, experience. And it's still going on because we're nowhere near done yet. Um, so very thankful for that. Very thankful for that. And uh, yeah, I, I would do this all over again. But uh, 
So anyways, uh, these sessions became very elaborate. So we're going to now, I, I, I'm going to start the story. My intention is to tell it chronologically, as chronologically as I can possibly make it. But everyone must understand that that's not how we got the information. Uh, where do you, where did I start? I, I came in and my question was, is I'm here to learn about my grandfather. What can you tell me about my grandfather during the second world war? Well, that's a huge question. Uh, compasses many, many years. Well, what did he do? He just spat out clues, one word clues, bam, 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 bam. And you wrote them down. And oh, that's another thing of beauty. I have a book full of every note you took and so far our six years and that is worth gold. Um, the, the information in here wow. is, is so extremely uh, elaborate and far more important than it looks uh, uh, firsthand when you take a look at it. Because understand again, it's clues, it's riddles. I think very rarely did he ever give us straight answers. And though those moments were absolutely amazing too. Um, before I prepare for a session with you, it, it often was the night before. And I would sit down in this room here, and I would take a piece of paper and I'd write down a question, like, where did I want to go with this investigation? What do I want to know tomorrow? So I'd, I'd write down a question and I set a goal for 10 questions for each session. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 10, 10 questions. Of course, I learned to recognize that I was never gonna get 10 answers. Uh, these questions, sometimes we maybe got one. Sometimes we didn't even get that. We got something totally different, but still relevant at mm. some point in this timeline. And, um, so I have my 10 questions. They, they would mushroom into many other things. Mm. And, and it, it, was, it was truly amazing. So I, I began to give 10 questions. And, and the first three were important. And the next ones were kind of like, yeah, it'd be nice to know this. And it'd be nice if you talk about this and whatnot. But I, I would never set my hopes on getting that answer. Mm. Um, so some sessions we'd get riddles that went with the questions. Some sessions though were, were absolutely amazing. It was like he was sitting in the room in the chair you can see behind me, yes. watching me write my questions the night before. I would walk into your house, we'd sit down, you do your introduction, and then without me even saying anything, bam, 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 there'd be five answers on your page. And every one of them answered specifically the questions one through five that I had written the night before. And uh, well, yeah, high five for sure. What do you say to that? Right? That I say, is. Thank you, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo, thank you for for this getting get to the point today. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Other times, like I said, and most of the times. We'd be going around and around and around, what seemed to be around and around the bush. And 
we'd look at each other and go, what does that have to do with anything? I think I um, said things like, what the fuck? Yes, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> I said more than that when I got home. And uh, it, I grew to knew, to, to knew, to know that everything that you said meant something. Oh. How you said it meant something. What you wrote on the page meant something. Where you wrote it on the page meant something. And specifically how you wrote it meant something. And I was happy I picked up on that really quickly because I would have lost out on so much. And if anyone else is doing sessions with you, I think they need to be open to the idea that it's not just what you say. They need to really, really pay attention because you might have, uh, you might be talking with someone that's as equally entertaining as my grandfather. And, and if you are and you miss it, there was absolutely no point in going. Um, some of these subtle clues were the most important clues that I could find. Uh, absolutely remarkable. So uh, that is all important and needs to be remembered throughout these podcasts because that's how this thing worked. So we're going to go and actually go to the very first session with the session notes and I'm just going to pull them up myself. Now if the viewers get to see a copy of these notes, you'll note that some of it is blocked out. I blocked out some of it because it has nothing to do with this session or it is personal information uh, that would come as part of an affirmation. And it just don't need to be, don't need to be clouded with that. So I'm not trying to hide anything to predetermine any outcome here. No secrets. So, with the question, tell me about my grandfather. I want to know about what he did during the Second World War. Um, again, I'm thinking I'm going to get some elaborate story here. Nah, not a chance. Um, I get the letter H. What the hell is that, right? Uh, prisoners. Uh, June Freedom. Uh, blue. That was an important one. Blue Freedom. And then this cute little diagram that you drew, uh, which we called a blue spider. I'm stopping right there. Blue spider. Now, I remember and I can see you right now drawing this spider because I watched everything you did. Um, you know, a little circle and some legs shooting out from the side of it. And specifically, there were six of them, which doesn't make a spider, but we laughed about that. I remember that. It was a very elementary drawing. Yeah, it was, mm -hmm. it was cute. Uh, but it got the job done. Um, so we got a blue spider. And I remember after you drew it, you specifically stated, there's more to this drawing. This isn't all of it. And that is a very important statement. And I remember you saying that. Incidentally, I didn't tape any of your sessions. Um, I don't know why, but I felt paying more attention to you than worrying about it being taped was, was, was a better way to go. If I turn the tape on, there's a tendency to just zone out. 
Uh, I can listen mm -hmm. to the bloody tape later, right? So I chose, I've never taped any of your sessions, six years now. You write so notes though, HM? I wrote notes okay. and I cross-referenced with what you had put down on paper. And this is where we went with this. Okay. So blue spider, very important, blue spider. I don't know if anybody is aware how many things look like spiders and how many things are blue, but days of searching, weeks of searching, months of searching turned into years of searching for this damn blue spider. And I came up with a million things relevant to the, the Second World War that looked like a blue spider or could be close enough to looking like a blue spider. And every time I thought I was on the right track and tried to take it further, it didn't, it didn't work. And I was shut down quite a few times. As a matter of fact, I think when we audio taped years ago, uh, we talked about the blue spider and I thought it was something totally different. It was after that, that I figured out what the real blue spider was. So we got this bloody blue spider. Come on. <laughs> I'm stringing this one out. because I wasn't it there. It, it did it to me. <laughs> I don't remember it. I know it's going to be fun. <laughs> so I, I remember you telling at one of the sessions, because we had so many before I figured this out, that before I showed up to the session, you were actually getting your hair done. And you got a vision of what I was actually researching. A couple of nights before that, I was looking at military insignia. And you'd get these things uh, attached to your uniforms in different places. And they're different symbols, sometimes words on it. Well, some of them actually could look like a spider. And so I had printed off a couple of these things on paper. And I was going to bring them to my next session and say, does it look like this? You know, give me something here. And before I could do that, you told me a story about sitting in the chair at the hairdressers and you had a vision of the very same things that I had printed out on that piece of paper that I haven't showed you yet. And so we had a good giggle about that. But when we answered, we asked, you know, did it look like this? Nothing. So I knew that was not my blue spider and I was going to have to go back to work. So I did. In, in, in the end, I'm going to tell you right now, this took four years. It took four years to figure out the blue spider. You were you had to drag me. it out. Yeah. Day one. Okay. So mm -hmm. this is where the story gets kind of cool, a little bit complex. So I hope I don't lose anybody. One day I'm watching a movie. Now I'm sitting in front of my computer screen right here, but Directly over top of me, I have a big screen television on the wall. And I would transfer documents and things that I'm working at onto the big screen so I could read them easier and sit in that comfy chair behind me and think a whole lot better. So I had the, the, the TV on and I'm working on this thing. And the movie The Great Escape came on. And I don't know if you've ever watched that movie. It's actually a really cool movie, World War II movie. Mm. And um, it's mostly true. Uh, except for Hollywood's little injection of stupidity. Um, but it came on, and I've watched it before. I liked the movie. So I was watching it again while I was doing this work. 
And I was pay attention, paying attention to both things at the same time, uh, which incidentally is where I get most of my stuff. But anyway, the movie comes on. And for whatever reason, part of the movie made me go back and look at notes from sessions I had previously. So I'm skimming back to that very note right now. Hopefully I can find it quickly. Because um, there's some key words in there that I wanna wanna talk about. And of course, I should have had it flagged, but that would have been prepared. Um, so we had words that came up with grandpa's riddles that were like selection. So with selection came that selection was part of a location. With that as well, there was the letter X, just the letter X, the word underground, uh, aircraft, landing, and then something that sounded like a gun. And you actually spelt it out, a gun. As soon as I read that, I recognized that from this bloody movie that I was watching. And so I went to the dry erase board behind me. And uh, I, I started using a technique that we had learned called the link analysis diagram. And the essence of that is you take a clue or a piece of evidence and you put it in a bubble, like write it in a circle and try to link other pieces of evidence that you have to that one piece of evidence with the understanding that you're not allowed to let these lines cross. They can't cross anywhere. So if one piece of evidence works in two places, you have to redraw your, draw your diagram so the two connect without crossing any lines. So that might be a little confusing, but whatever. So I chose the clue blue because blue came up twice in different sessions. And it was part of the blue spider session, the first session, and it was part of this other session with these other clues that I just read off. So blue meant something. So I drew a circle, wrote blue in it. And off that, I drew a line, another little bubble, and I wrote the letter X, because X was one of these new clues. Then I draw another line off of blue, and I wrote the word underground. Then I drew another line, another little bubble, and I put, I gotta turn and look now, um, I put uh, a gun on it, what you were trying to sound out, as well as the word freedom, because that was also part of the first session's clues. So hopefully I didn't confuse anybody with that. However, I'm getting somewhere with this. I recognize that all these clues were attached to blue, but for some reason had something to do with this movie, The Great Escape. Now, The Great Escape's movie, being a true uh, recollection, had to do with a prisoner war camp in Poland during the Second World War. It was referred to as Stalag Luft III. 
Stalag is normally a camp that not, no officers go to them. It's non-commissioned members. Officers were sent to Oflogs. However, this was a Stalag Luft, Luft meaning air. So this was a prisoner war camp for air crew. And because it was Luft, they had different rules and they mixed their officers and non-commissioned members. So they're all in a basket in this camp. This camp was in Poland. Well, the camp happened to be right beside the village of Zagan. Zagan sounds an awful like, like a gun. So I'm going, ah, we're into something here. Zagan, a gun. Yes, we're talking about the same place. Well, in this camp, it is very famous for the prisoners digging tunnels and escaping one of the largest escapes from any prisoner camp during the Second World War. So underground fit right in. The letter X. Letter X was actually given to the escape committee that the prisoners created. Big X was the leader of the escape committee. So X fit perfectly fine on the diagram. Aircraft. Well, there were no aircraft in this camp. But when I thought about it, it was aircraft coming and going that would refer to the actual membership in the camp. They were all air crew. They're getting mm -hmm. shot down, captured, and they were coming and going from this camp. So aircraft I left on the diagram. That worked perfectly fine. Freedom I put on there because they escaped. A bunch of them escaped. Freedom. So this all started to fit together. And I looked at it. I'm going, wow, that's a perfect depiction of this movie. Well, what the hell did it have to do with my grandfather? I don't remember seeing him in the movie, right? So I was, I was totally puzzled by this thing. And uh, I left it on my dry erase board. It's still there right now, mostly because it's been there so long, I can't even erase it anymore. So anyways, one day I am sitting here front of my computer, smacking away, trying to find stuff. And I stopped, I froze. And I spun around and I looked at the board and I bust out laughing. Because if you look at that diagram, what does it look like? It looks like a bloody blue spider. In fact, blue is in the center of it. Now I've added to this one, so it doesn't really look like a spider. But you also remember that when you drew that, Karen, you stated there was more to this diagram mm -hmm. than what we initially got. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, that was the end of my day. I think I laughed for an hour. Um, Blue Spider, four years after. Mm -hmm. So other than the obvious, obvious uh, success of that clue, was the, the, the fantastic scenario where I received this information day one that I came to see you four years ago. And he was showing me what I was gonna be drawing on that day. That, that is, that's still absolutely amazing to me. Yeah. Totally amazing. And at this point, it still doesn't really connect directly with him but it connects with me and uh, as well as with you 
And so as, as, as this investigation progressed, uh, we, did, we did learn that this did have significance with his adventure. So this was absolutely one of the most phenomenal experiences in the last six years for me, and still is. And probably a good thing I can't erase it. Oh. And so it, it stuck there for me to look at all the time. You know, I'll, actually, I'll probably recreate it and frame it someday. So oh, that's cute. Now, while I said previously, I, I was trying to tell this story chronologically, this one I could not. I had to close this loop because this will set up how all of these sessions uh, worked for us. Hmm. We'd show up, we'd ask a question, we might get an answer, we might get a clue, and it might not have anything to do with anything we're asking today. It might have something to do with what we're going to discover a year later. And uh, so this is really how this phenomenal experience has gone for me. So, and, and I don't miss it. He recognized in me that I absolutely love challenges and mm -hmm. I love a puzzle. And he was giving me what I needed at that time. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, I was lost. I was really lost. I didn't know where I was headed. And he was, he was injecting a purpose for me which was in front of me all the time, but I was looking beyond it and not seeing it. So this was perfect. Hmm. Uh, absolutely perfect. Yay, Grandpa. Yeah. That's a lot of love, eh? Uh, uh, ama amazing. Especially from someone I, I really didn't know. Yeah. You know, it's uh, sad to say it. I did not know who this guy was. I think um, it is a really beautiful illustration, though, of what is possible when we desire to connect. Mm -hmm. You know, and Jim, I can't tell you the amount of people that come in here where they say they're open and we start with medium and they say, oh, no, well, no, I didn't know them very well. And it just right. stops there because they don't give the consent to continue. They have a different priority and that's fine, but they never really get to explore what's possible um, if they don't open themselves up to connection. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh yeah. You know, I hate to think. What would have happened if I didn't, you know, if I didn't go down mm -hmm. this road, where would I be now? Um, this, this is, uh, this is something that will forever stay with me, you know, and, and, and this investigation will end at some point. Uh, I hope not that soon, but the end of it all is the creation of a book about this, which I might as well allude to uh, right now is that initially I just, intended to get information for me. And then I figured, well, I'll put it on paper and hand it out to the family since they don't know anything about their dad, which is really freaking sad. And then it expanded. Well, wait a second, he's also a soldier and he's got no recognition. That's just not right either. Um, so it just kept morphing into something bigger and bigger. And then as this became the phenomenal experience that it is, um, I decided that it, it could get bigger in, in publication as well. Mm -hmm. And that there would be outside interest outside of the family in this kind of a, a, an event and the way this was done. Um, so that's another huge task for me is to sit down and smack this thing out on paper and hopefully run somewhere with it. And it's not about money. It's nothing to do with money whatsoever. It's adventure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, it, it's it's huge. It's the best adventure ever. I mean, to have an adventure with someone that's no longer here, mm-hmm. uh, that is truly amazing. Uh, I mean, I can easily say I know him more today than I ever knew him. And I probably know more about him than any of his family does. And uh, hopefully I can fix that if they're willing. Um, But I know there's still some, I'm not going to say resentment, but it's like I'd I'd rather not know, right? Hmm. We'll we'll, we'll leave it at that kind of thing. So we'll we'll see what we can do with it anyway. Mm -hmm. Bigger projects. Wow, Jim, I I know obviously this is not your first time here um, and you've been so thorough in how to explain, you know, the way the cues or the clues have come through in your mm-hmm. affirmations. Um, so thank you, first and foremost, for your patience. <laughs> I think I can thank you on Karen's behalf too. Mm-hmm. Um, but also for pulling out the life lessons. Because uh-huh. I think a lot of people, you know, you know, could start listening to this and think, well, I don't really have an interest in the war and turn it off or I don't really, you know, I don't identify with the clues, so I'm going to turn it off. But there's so much in here about, like I said, that desire for connection um, that I hope people really heard you and can take away from this today um, to connect to the people who are sitting across the dining room table from them. Yeah, I, I, I can't say enough about this because this really is not about the war. Um, this is about so much, so much more. The war is just there. Horrible mm-hmm. event, but so much happened within it. And this is just one of the things that happened. Mm-hmm. And and what a beautiful thing for you to do to witness his life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's more and more remarkable every day, so... Yeah. Now we have, oh, sorry, Karen, go ahead. I was going to say, I think if I'm remembering correctly, Jim, he's uh, proven that he's witnessing your life. Oh, yes. Um, And if I might add to that too, I I, I don't know if other people do this that have been to see you, but um, oftentimes I'll sit here while I'm doing my, my work here and I'll turn and I'll look in the big chair back there thinking he's there not because necessarily i i feel him or anything like that it's like uh, he has to be there mm-hmm. and uh it almost makes me do things differently you know i sit there and go what the hell is wrong with this guy you know what is he doing here right and it's oh wait a second he can hear me and uh <laughs> it's true he can <laughs> Well, exactly. And he's alluded to that many, many times. He's probably like, oh, one more riddle for you then, Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what's more, one more kick in the butt, right? Yeah. Um, that works for me. So you've got an open invitation. As you collect more clues um, and things, you know, come to fruition, uh, we expect that you'll, you'll return for more. Is that fair? Oh, yes. Uh, we have a lot more to even get us close to being caught up to today cool mm-hmm. um i would say that the work that i've just gone through here has cleared us to maybe maybe the uh end of uh december 2014 mm-hmm. okay. so there's another six years worth of 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 good stuff 
Um, and, and as this story goes, it, it just becomes more and more remarkable. Cool. Well, Jim, thank you so much for today. We both very much appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Anytime. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to today's show. And we really hope that you've enjoyed so far. Yes, we've got four more shows for you. Uh, like we said, we're releasing them back to back, so you can just go click on show two. I also want to say to um, and apologize that if you're just listening today, we should have done a better job saying in the intro that it's well worth watching on YouTube. Um, Jim oh, has yeah. visuals to go with uh, a lot of the things that he's mentioned. There'll be more in subsequent shows too. Um, so if you do want to go back and catch that on YouTube, um, on Patreon, we're going to post it publicly as well on Facebook. So you can find that if you're looking um, to see the physical evidence that Jim has gathered uh, to prove Karen's accuracy. We look forward to giving you show two.